Welcome to If You've Come This Far. This is the podcast that uh, Sean and I do where we we have authentic conversations with people who are, who are trying to leave this place better than they found it. Um, and today's guest is, I don't know if we, I, I mean, I, I, maybe you've known Dr. John Duffy longer than me, Sean, but I've known him for, for a number of years, primarily through Todd and Kathy and Zen Parenting Radio. Um, but I think we've collectively known him long enough to call him a, a, a longtime friend of of ours um yeah and and certainly pulled in the same direction and john's got a new book out i don't know how many books john's written a lot um but uh tell us a little bit more about john yeah john duffy um what a, what a wonderful guy the first thing he would want me to say about him is he's the biggest bruce springsteen fan there is um mm-hmm. and i think we talk did we talk about that in the kind i think we talk about that in the conversation but he Yes. Yeah, we do. We do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but what a uh the thing about John, his energy is infect infectious. Um, just a just a, a a wonderful man who's trying to um just kind of help one person at a time. And so he wrote this book, Rescuing Our Sons. Um, given what we do at men living, it was uh something that really kind of revealed a lot about. Um, his practice, I mean, directly his practice in working with um, young men uh, in particular, and um, just uh, confirms some things that are going on you might be reading in the media, but also it, it kind of shines a light on some things you may not be aware of. And I think it's uh, uh, if you have a young man in your life, um, it's uh, it's really a very revealing look at what's going on uh, in our society these days. And so, um, you know, we, John's smart as shit, uh, but yeah, but he went to like a second tier university, right? <laughs> I think, but despite that, despite that, he's doing amazing, whoa, 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 not despite doing that. amazing things in the world. <laughs> And uh, and we love him to death, right? We do I mean, love him. He's got great yeah. energy. And the second yeah. tier, the quote unquote second tier university that you're you're talking about uh, for the listener is Notre Dame. So John and I overlapped right. by a year at Notre Dame. In fact, we were both there second tier. I'll give you second tier. We were both there <laughs> when we won a national championship in football. There's your second right. tier. Yeah, Holy yeah. Cross. Boy. And I want and I apologize to the listener at the beginning. Bringing up Notre Dame because we know how that goes. If you've listened to the show, chest bumping and where did you, you know, what dorm were you in and all that. And so, yes, I apologize. Um, but it, we only stay on it a little longer. So really, I, I encourage you to get through this intro yeah. um, so that so that you can get to the hat of our conversation, yeah. which is really which is really special. Really special. We might have actually spent more time talking about certified public accounting, which is how John started his career <laughs> than we did on Notre right. Dame. So so bear well, with us. No, and, and the other thing about having Duffy on is, you know, he's been on a lot of stuff. I mean, he's like a well-known guy. I mean, he had a he's got his own radio show, he's been on TV. Then he decided to spend an hour with us. What the hell is that? Well, you know, he's got he's got these vests that he's got to wear, and he's he's got to do a certain number of shows. Um, anyway, yeah, the big uh, checks we write for our guests, right? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I do think that that rescuing our sons 
is a book that will appeal to our listener base. Um, and so it wasn't Absolutely. totally selflessly that he hopefully, I mean, hopefully we'll try to help him sell some books, but right, that um, would be great. Good, good writer. I think he's a, a, yeah. a great therapist, a great communicator and away we go. Right. Here we go. Yes. There he is. Hey. <laughs> How are we doing, gentlemen? What's happening? Good morning. Good morning. Wait, I'm going to plug in just because I don't want to lose us here. Okay. All right. John, I didn't get to say hi to you the other day. I was there on Saturday. I didn't get to say hi. I saw you there on Saturday. <laughs> yeah. I uh, I was kind of in and out, uh, but I told Sean that I was going to channel my my inner John Duffy, and I so I wore a vest today. Uh, oh, sort of look at you, honor. man. <laughs> this, I was thinking you look good. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you. This, this fucking guy here doesn't own a vest, apparently. We got to remedy that. Oh, we will be remedying that. <laughs> I think we should. So so this is how we're opening. Can So let's just say you, 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 what I'm going to say, you have a Steve Jobs thing where you have, I'll call it a uniform. All right. So, <laughs> so button down yep. shirt, vest, Levi jeans, boots. Right. That's exactly so right. You, can, every can you, every can, day of my life. That's that can is you fact. talk about the origin of that? I can. <laughs> All right. Just as a, yeah, we're recording, yeah. by the way, because we just, are we yeah. recording. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. This, it's, on. Said, yeah. it's on. Oh, yeah. Then let's, yeah. let's talk about it. Okay. Yeah. So um, I was giving a talk when when I wrote my first book, which was in 2011. Um, I put on a blazer and my wife said, you look ridiculous. Like you, you look like a guy who's like getting up to do a talk. Like you should not, <laughs> this looks, this looks dumb on you. You still have that vest I gave you like years and years before that I put on the vest and then, and I was wearing khakis as well. And she's like, I, and I was talking to school and she's like, I don't think it's cool for you to wear khakis. Like, I, I think you should put on a pair of jeans and like, I don't think that's going to work out. I think I got to yeah. wear, you know, something better And she's like, I just, Please trust me on this. I put on the jeans. So I had the, this on, exactly what yeah. I'm wearing now. <laughs> yeah. You know, 13 years ago. And it, and I was like, okay, I'm comfortable in this. I like this. Um, and I will not be changing it. I am not unwise to the reality that vests are not the coolest thing right now. Like, people aren't wearing them. They're not around. And yet... I decided I'm gonna make it cool. I'm gonna make it a thing. <laughs> you definitely, you definitely it. look cool. Julie obviously had your best interest, and it it definitely works. Julie right. always does. She's she's yes. good. And and I have a client who painted. You, you can't see it, but right on the wall in my office is a picture of just a vest and a shirt. And it's oh, like nice. it's it, it, uh, it is my it's my avatar forever. <laughs> yeah, so good. Uh, uh, you know. Um, we interviewed um, a good friend of mine and a bandmate of mine six months ago, John Sherman, who is a, uh, a therapist, and he has been known to wear vests. So I, I thought maybe, I don't find my way into enough therapy offices, but I thought maybe this was a thing in your field. <laughs> is that we we don't we're not we don't suspect that wearing a vest um, helps you therapy better than than otherwise, <laughs> right? <laughs> Right. Uh, as far as I know, not a thing in the field. Um, <laughs> I've not seen other therapists wearing vests. I have I, I, my my best friend has worked at GQ and Esquire 
um, as an editor uh, for 20 years. And for 14 of those years, he's been really begging me to stop wearing vests. <laughs> and so every time I see him, I am certain to wear a vest. <laughs> You do. It is funny. I mean, just to picture you in a suit coat just doesn't even just doesn't even work, really. Right. I tried it the other day. I thought I'm going to try to throw I wanted to throw Todd Adams for a loop. And Julie's like, no, you can't wear it. It's, it looks ridiculous. I mean, she really does that now. Now I've done this so often that it does look weird on me. <laughs> so what about so? Well, so if you go to like a wedding, do you wear a suit? Um, it depends. Like if I can get away with, I can get away with a vest, I will be yeah. wearing a vest. I do have nice. a suit. I'm a, I'm a recovering CTA. So yeah. I, my wardrobe used to be all suits, you know? And so, um, I happily have pared down to one suit that hopefully I wear once or twice a year and hopefully yeah. it's a joyful occasion, not a somber occasion. Um, yeah, I, I have to, I have to insert myself here. Uh, and I, I, I think that if you come this far is the farthest thing from a fashion podcast. So, so I think our listeners are, are, are done. Listening. But, but hold on. Man. Hold on. That's rough. <laughs> no, I'm just saying like Sean and I don't exist. Well, you wield Wait. better than I do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. But, but look at me. Sean now. takes some issue with this, Chris. Okay. But uh, yeah. listen, here's, here's uh, so John, I don't know you that well. I've no, we've known each other from afar like, I don't know, for a while for years but yeah yeah this is the first time i've heard this bit about you being a recovering cpa and i'm always interested uh, yeah. in people's sort of origin stories yeah. and their arcs yeah can you please explain to me how one goes from being a certified public accountant to a therapist okay but John, before he before he tells you that story though i just want to say i'm gonna say this and apologize to the listeners up front if you guys want to do the chest bump thing because you both went to notre dame Go ahead and do that, and get let's get that let's get that out of the way. I don't think I uh, remember that, Duffy. I don't. I didn't remember it about you either. Yeah. So, right. Uh, so that's a bit of bit information for the two of you. Yeah. What year? What dorm? Uh, of course. The football team. Right. Do your senior year. Let's uh, do this okay. real quick. Uh, uh, Ninety-two. Dylan Hall. I was a freshman when we won it all. Oh my gosh! Yes, you were. I was. I was. Uh, I was there. Um, uh, Eighty-six. Uh, I, um, I was up in uh, Stanford Hall, the okay. ugliest building on the be most beautiful campus. Yeah. Um, we, and my brother graduated in 78. They won it all in the Cotton Bowl against Texas. Uh, that's when I decided I want to go to Notre Dame. I graduate in 86. Um, we have a one of the worst seasons in Notre Dame football my mm -hmm. senior year. We lose 52 to seven to Jimmy Johnson and the Miami Hurricanes oh, in the yeah. rain. My last game, my senior year. Catholics and convicts. No, that was that was <laughs> that was John's senior year, my freshman year, when we won 31 to 30, and you got the revenge for that. That's correct, yes. correct, correct. Yes, <laughs> that's awesome. And the Catholics and convicts thing. Let's not get into that. I know the guy who made the shirts. Yeah, was oh, a do you really on the, on the football uh, on the basketball team. Had a got a throwdown from um, the president of the university and chose the shirts over the basketball team. Oh wow, Monk Monk mm -hmm. gave him a hard time, huh? Yeah, yeah. There's a there, right, exactly. There's, there's a, a thirty there's for a 30. thirty. Exactly. There's a thirty yeah. for thirty about that very thing. 
Uh, you, you so know what? Yeah. Let's, let's just stay on this Notre Dame thing for a bit. No, oh, I'm just yeah. See? I'm kidding. See? All right, yeah. here we go. Let's go back. Okay, CPA. Yeah. Um, and then did you have a wake-up call? Was it longer? Go ahead. So, so um, coming out of Notre Dame, uh, it was not difficult coming out of the accounting program at Notre Dame is, is a machine, right? So I get a job at Arthur Anderson here in Chicago. At that time, that was an actual firm that would, that did not go down in flames during the Enron scandal. Mm -hmm. Um, but I left right before that. Um, I, I hated it from day one. I knew I felt uh, this anxious dissonance from day one. And it was, it was baffling to me that everyone around me seemed to be feeling fine and and interested and engaged and not anxious. I was there for six and a half years. I had panic attacks every single day. Oh. Uh, and finally, I meet Julie, my wife, and she said, you hate your job? I said, oh my gosh, I, I cannot connect with it. And the people around me seem happy there. She's like, do you know what you want to do? I said, yeah, I want to be a psychologist. I want to be a therapist. I want to work. I want to, I want to help people. And she's like, okay, what are you afraid of? I said, I think I'm telling, telling my parents is the scariest thing. And she said, all right, let's get in the car and go. And I, I've never been more terrified. And I tell my parents with Julie there, she, uh, we are not yet married. We are engaged. And, uh, and my dad says, uh, are you asking me for money? <laughs> I said, no, 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 not looking for money. Um, and they said, and you're unhappy. We didn't know that. Okay, good. Go do your thing. And that was it. So the scary thing I thought was going to happen, no scary thing happened. They were 100% behind it. Wow. Wow. Okay. So first of all, amazing story. Thank God for Julie, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fixed his job, fixed his clothes. Yeah, go, yeah, I'm sure we could go through a long yeah, list of things yeah. she's There's fixed for him. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm struck by though is um, is how this sort of sets us up for I think what we're mostly interested in talking about, yeah. which is boys yeah. and emotional intelligence and emotional yeah. language and yeah. wearing masks. And you were fucking in your 20s, in your mid 20s, wearing a mask still, right? Pretty much. I was. I was. It's. It's. Uh. And and you're and you're not wrong. I mean, that is part of the reason we are talking now. Part of the reason I wrote this book and went into this field was. Uh. It's partly my story. So you know, like all of this is like I. In every book I've written, I've hidden behind a memoir. You know what I mean? Like mm. I, I. It's a yeah. self help book, but it's it's a memoir in disguise every single time. And you know, and then this one in particular, where I talk about how boys don't have the emotional language to really understand what they're going through. So they don't really know what to do, what, what change to make, because there's not a connection between mind, body, and spirit the way there is with girls. You know, this was so automatic for Julie. She had practiced this her whole life. This was easy for me. It was torture, you know, like the idea of telling my parents, she's like, they're just people they'll understand. And I'm like, no, 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 they absolutely will not. And I was certain yeah. of it and I was, could not have been more wrong. And I realized it, and I thought I'm pretty. I didn't know the term emotional intelligence at the time, but I thought sure. I'm pretty tuned into kind of my more feminine side, and I think I've got this stuff down. I was, I was a so far off base. I was in left field. Well, and and um, Sean, go ahead, please. 
No, I just if are you are you continuing on this point because I'm I'm kind of transitioning us to talking about the the work. So you go. So John's new book, as we'll say in the intro, is called Rescuing Our Sons. And I guess maybe maybe a good way to start the conversation is what are we rescuing them from? Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> there's a little story behind the title. Um, yep. So I I reached out to my publisher. Just a few months ago, this is all brand new. I wrote this book in a hurry. We published it in a hurry. And I said, uh, I have, a, I have a, um, a, an idea for a book. Uh, our, our boys are in trouble. And, um, and so I wanted to call the book Man Down. I thought that's just a catchy, cool mm -hmm. title. They were like, absolutely not. Nobody's going to know what that means. <laughs> but what, what, are you, what are you talking about? What's the problem? And I said, um, I think only therapists know and and individual parents out there you know in mm -hmm. silos know that their boys um especially since the pandemic are inert they are smoking weed playing video games watching pornography all of this is uh they're on their phones constantly and a lot of this is just opting out of life so a lot of there's a lot of boys and young men who are not living their lives and i mean that quite literally, like boys who yeah. smoke weed all day long are just opting out. They're not, they're, they're super depressed. They're semi-suicidal, but they're, there's not even enough energy to act on, on much of anything. So they are, they are horizontal an awful lot of the time. And for a lot of the boys I work with, the only time they're out of the house is to come in here and see me into yeah. this room. And they're still anxious about doing that. So there's a whole bunch of young men out there who don't believe they're capable, competent, of, able to take on the world in any discernible way. And that number is growing exponentially while I see our girls um, thriving, even though, like I was, I was saying the other day at the, yeah. the Zen conference, they're they're going through all the things that boys are like, they're going through depression, anxiety, body image issues and all these things. And yet you can see that they, they know that they have a future. You do not see this. You do not see this or hear this from boys or young men. Well, this, and this is what I, this is what I love about John's book is that, you know, I mean, given what we work in, in men living, we're familiar with all the stats, right? All the research that's been done and, and it's out there, but, you're what you're telling are the real stories. I mean, you're like, okay, this is what I do every day and this is what I'm experiencing. And so it's giving um, some reality. I mean, to, to the data, if you will. Um, and, and that's what I found to be so uh, poignant about the book. Well, that's, that's, um, that's what I hope I, I bring to the field. There are so many people who are, there, there are many books out there about boys coming, coming out and that yeah. are out now that, 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 uh, talk about the data in really, really, um, uh, chilling ways that are, that are factual. But I think, um, hearing stories, you know, this is, this is all I got are these stories that yeah. happen in this room, but yeah. hearing the stories and, and, and witnessing it with these guys one-on-one -on -one and trying to kind of pull them out of the hole, um, you know, that, that's a, that's a whole different thing, you know, that, yeah. that, uh, it kind of humanizes the whole thing. And I think my hope is it makes the parents not feel like, okay, my kid fits into this statistic, but, oh, I see 
other people experience exactly what I do. Like, you know, right. like, because this feels like our story in our family. You know, this, yeah. is, this is our, our shame that we are not sharing with anybody outside. And a lot of us are saying, oh, oh, Billy, he's, he's off at the University of whatever, Minnesota, you know, like, and, yeah. and meanwhile, he's in the basement on the couch watching the office again, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, I have a quick question. Um, first, first of all, I am a data lover, um, but I would rather read a, a book that humanizes something like this than read about the data. I think both are important and I really appreciate that aspect of it because I think yeah. more people than not would, would, would also prefer the humanizing book. And now I'm going to ask you a data question. Um, wh- and I'm asking you to answer it based on your anecdotal data, but <clears throat> I think I heard you the other day and and even here talk about how maybe you're seeing an uptick in boys coming into your office. Um, Oh yeah. That, that, that's to me either signals like help seeking behavior. Like I know that I'm on whatever, I don't even know the names of these fucking video games these days. Um, But I know that I'm on this too much or I'm smoking too much weed or they're being told to go get therapy. Can you can you give any color as to why these young men are coming into your basement? Yeah, well, uh, it, it's really, um, it's not out of a desire to do so. Girls come because they're, they're hurting, they're having a hard time. I want to talk to somebody, I could use some help. Um, most of the young guys I'm working with, they are here under duress. So the first couple of uh-huh. sessions, I am pitching. I, I, I am pitching the next session. That is the whole idea of session one. We don't do therapy. You know, what we are doing is we are, I, I'm like, what's the video game? I don't know how to play it. Tell me about it. What, mm. what podcast are you listening to? Oh, I don't like Joe Rogan. Tell me why you like this guy. You know, I mean, we are, we are shooting the shit, trying to find some way to connect. And, yeah. and, and, and the uniform here that I'm wearing is intended in part to create something that doesn't feel clinical uh, it's, mm-hmm. because they will they will ghost me like you know by mm-hmm. hour two they will be gone if they feel like oh you're committing an act of psychology on me and i'm and i'm not interested in engaging in that way so all i'm trying to do is keep them coming because uh one thing i said at the conference and and i i realize is super true is the the currency of this whole phenomenon is hope. And if we can instill some hope in any given day, and even that, and that usually is at the end of an hour, if you spend an hour with any young person, but these young boys, we're talking about boys now. So you spend an hour with a 17 year old boy, you're not, you're going to find something remarkable about him. He'll be sheepish about it. He'll say, it's no big deal, but I was ranked. Like I worked with this kid. He was ranked number one in the world in Minecraft for a couple of days, <laughs> like, which, you know, and he's like, but it's bullshit. And I play it way too much. And my parents are pissed about it. And I'm like, hold up. You know, there are a zillion people playing that thing. Right. And you were ranked number one, even for, for five minutes. Like that is insane. Like mm, you yeah. have got some skill, man. I, I know that like you've done something that millions of people would love to say they have done. Yeah. And then you want, and then you get that there's something to build on there. Right. You know, because you recognize this, you're not just chastising them for that. You might say, Oh yeah, you must be playing too much. Maybe I would add that. But the first point has to be, Holy shit. Like you are a skilled and talented human mm-hmm. being yeah. because 
you did something most people cannot do. Yeah. Um, uh, the the age group of the men, just to, to level set, the, the age group of the boys and men we're talking about is what, John? Yeah, uh, it's, it's an alarmingly broad span. So it's adolescence, really. It's the hallmark of adolescence. But that is 10 to about 23, 24. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, when you think about what, what, what we went through, the paces we went through between 13 and 19, that is stretched on both ends of the spectrum. So, you know, like um, development is arrested enough by a pandemic and video games and porn and stuff like that to the point where, you know, guys are even slower getting going. Um, but you have to, but they're, they have access to everything. So you, you, we've got to be talking to our 10 year olds because they're looking at TikToks about depression and self-harm and suicide, um, as much as 13 year olds are. And then our, our guys who are in their twenties, a lot of them have failed to launch even into college or to a trade Mm -hmm. or whatever the next thing is after high school. Once they get out of the regimen of what's expected, you know, like, okay, this day is predictable. The cadence of my life is um, laid out for me. The minute that, that, that all of that structure is gone, a lot of these guys just fall away and they just sit in dorm rooms. Like, you know, and they'll go from yeah. one to the other and play video games and smoke weed or drink all day long. Like this happens yeah. on college campuses all the time. That's happening now. Mm. Um, let's, I want to, I want to talk about some of the causes and, and one that's, uh, that really resonates with me is, and first of all, back in the spring of last year, I wrote a blog post. There was a title of an article I read that the democratic leadership in the house, um, had gone, the most recent one is completely diverse. And there was a headline that I saw in this article said, for the first time, uh, no white men in house leadership. And I really had an issue with that because what, what I, how I reacted to it was it, it wasn't celebrating diversity. It was, you know, attacking white men. And yeah. uh, I got a lot of feedback from from women and moms that said, well, yeah, that's, you know, this is great. It's, you know, down with the patriarchy and all the rest. And I, and I get all the energy around that. But what I couldn't come to grips with is the fact that if your 15 year old son is reading your reaction to this, what do you say about that? So the part in the book where you have these moms that are getting together in the locker room, talking about, you know, telling their sons, it's not your time. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, talk about causes. I mean, if you're hearing it from your mom, it's not your time. Uh, I I mean, what do you do? I mean, I I, mean, so this, this happens so frequently, Sean, like uh, I I worked with with a mom and her son um, the uh, last Thursday and, and be kind of almost in a playful way. Uh, he said, you know, I, I don't really have a say in the household. He's got three sisters. He's the only boy. Yeah. And she's like, you know, oh, you know, you know, it's not your time. You, you like playful. Like she, she kind of like tapped him on the knee and, you know, looked at me and laughed and, and, you know, um, and, and I'm like, I had to stop the moment and say, well, no, that it, it's, it's great that it's your daughter's time. But it's your guy's time too. Like it's got, right. it's got to be. You know, like all the boats have to be able to rise. Otherwise, 
um, like we've talked about so many times, you know, like if these boys are going to be husbands and fathers and partners and workmates and all that, but they're also people unto themselves, right? And so right. they need to have a place in the culture. And, and it feels absurd, right? We're talking about um, white boys not having a place in the culture. It feels like an eye roll. Like, are you guys kidding me? You know, like this is that that is a ridiculous notion in 2024 when white guys are running and kind of ruining everything. Um, but these these boys are they are kind and smart and thoughtful and gentle and um, and they're they're looking for ways to make positive contributions, you know, yeah. and, and they're, they're pretty well informed. Um, and, and if we just silence them, this massive part of the population, uh, they're, well, let's talk statistics for a minute. Yeah. Um, every, as I did a little bit of research, um, as I was writing the book and I was trying to see, you know, how many, uh, school shooters were not boys um, yeah. or young men uh, and and in the last 10 years the number is one um, right. yeah and uh, and how the, what are the suicide statistics you know uh, attempted and completed suicides yeah. we know those are wildly skewed and more and more skewed all the time way more boys are hopeless enough to attempt to or take their lives you know successfully and boys usually use far more lethal means so if there's an attempt, um, mm -hmm. like my younger brother, um, which you guys may or may not yeah. know about, you know, but um, his his method was a chilling one. You know, it's something I could never do. You know, in a way, I, I marvel at just like the, you know, he did it twice, you know, um, and he, he jumped off of parking garages um, and he did it two times. And and I went to the mo the spot uh, and I thought, how how hopeless must Tom have felt? Mm. to do this because I could, I could stand on this ledge for years mm, and I yeah. would make sure I didn't fall off. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. And yet that, yet there are boys who are desperate enough on a regular basis to go there. And I hear it all the time. I hear it every single day. I hear yeah. from a boy that he is suicidal. Hey y'all. Thanks for listening to the show. Please consider following us or maybe just sharing with somebody you like. This episode is being brought to you by Half Acre Beer Company, makers of Daisy Cutter Pale Ale and many other excellent ales and lagers. You can find them in Chicago's Bowmanville neighborhood and at halfacrebeercompany.com. Now back to the show. You make a point in the book about dads. Okay, now dads, it's it's time to step up. But you share stories from, from the boys that you see and the young men that you see that my dad shows no emotion. I don't think he's right. happy with his job. I mean, he's not getting a lot of joy out of life. He's got no friends. I mean, so, so at one end we're looking, okay, so they're stuck in this middle where they're like, okay, wh who am I? What's my role if it's not my time? And then looking to the one person that might give them that direction yeah, is as lost as they are. I mean, is, is that what you should, is that how you would describe that, that, it in the book? It's exactly how I would describe it. And and the contrast is, you know, um, well, let, let, I'll describe a boy I work with who lost his father tragically, not that long ago. Um, but he is a really highly functioning guy. Um, and, and he's managing it with a lot of grace. He's, he's super sad. 
Um, and yet you can feel that he has that light and that hope that he, that there's a future. The difference is, um, he has other men in his life who are, so he's a, he happens to be kind of a championship runner, like, you know, like, like potentially Olympic championship runner. So he's got like these coaches who are like there for him in an emotionally intelligent way and a, Hey, we know you've been through something really difficult way. You know, we're going to be there for you. But you have a skill and a talent. We expect a lot of you. We our mm. bar for you is high. And mm. to have like those men in there in your life who are there and believe in you and are role models, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, and are all the things right. You know, you can feel all your feelings. And yet you don't get to, you're not tapping out. This is not time for you to tap out. You need you can you can feel your feelings. If you need a day, you can take a day. But then we want you back on this track. And and what that's done for him. I, I cannot tell you, you know, like, so he is managing the loss with a lot of grace and he's channeling it into working harder to get faster. And, and you know what I mean? So he's got like a mission or he's probably got 10 of them, you know, like he's an a- academic guy. He, um, he plays Minecraft and he wants to be really good at that. So, you know, like there's, um, when, when it works, you can see the contrast, right? Because it's like, he has, some inspiration mentors. coming from yeah. the men around him. He has mentors. Yeah. He has he has places to fall. There, he can go to his coach's office and fall apart. And he's done it a number of times. He's fallen apart here with me, and yet he still does the things. He still lives his life. And a lot of boys lacking the mentors and the clarity of like, what could life look like twenty or thirty years from now? You know, like like show me what it, what 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 masculinity looks like. What makes the man and can it be gentle and tough at the same time? You know, like, can this all fit together? Boys, you know, this seems so cliche, but it's true. Boys don't know the answers to these questions. Right. They need right. to be shown. They really yeah. do. Yeah. Yeah. John, the, the part of your book that, that I probably, uh, that probably grabbed me the most was the section on the gaps, like this, this assessment of, how boys are, are different than girls generally. Um, and I mean, especially the EQ or the emotional intelligence gap. Um, how, I just wonder, like, have, have you, and maybe you talked about this and I missed it, but have you thought about how responsible we are for these gaps that exist? Yeah, pretty responsible. Um, <laughs> especially, and, and that's the big one, honestly, Chris, is like the, the EQ gap. Um Sometimes when I talk about this, I feel like it's 1955. You know what I mean? Like mm. we need to teach our boys that they can express their emotions. This seems like something that, you know, we should be past by now. Um, but we're not. I mean, you know, like boys are still stuck with this really, really limited emotional understanding and vocabulary. And you can feel this weird dissonance in them because they feel things and they're fighting it. You know, like so when I'm working with a girl, if she's inclined to be emotional right here in a therapy room. It's a freaking therapy room. I got there. There is, you know, I got eight boxes of tissues in here. Um, and yeah, and, 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 you know, and girls will use four of them right? for you. Yes. If you've got, if you've got a, a crying teenager in front of you, uh, and you are a human being, it's going to hurt. Yeah. It's going to hit you, man. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, for the boys to feel permission, to dig in and think about how they're feeling and to allow themselves just to express the emotion. 
just to break down. You can feel there's a fight. There's this press there that says that suggests like this isn't cool to do. This is not this is not the guy thing to do. And my dad doesn't do this. And you know, like I haven't seen anybody, any other of the men who are around our house or whatever do this. So I'm gonna hold, I'm gonna, I'm gonna restrain this. I'm gonna fight this with everything I've got. And not not being able to express yourself emotionally is so key to success, you know, like um, I studied emotional intelligence for the first few years I did this about 20 years ago. And it talked about like, what are the factors that contribute to success? Let's say at work, right? And you you need about 5%, you need to know how to do the gig. You need to know how to perform the job. The Almost all of the rest of it was all this emotional intelligence stuff. You know, like the, the ability to connect with people is the main thing in almost any job. It's the yeah. main thing that you need to be mm-hmm. able to do. And so that means you have to understand what you're going through. You got to be able to read the room. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to tell a story. I'll be real brief here. But back when I in my CPA days, I worked for the one of two partners at the accounting firm. And one guy was the smartest guy. He was the best accountant, period. But he would, he would, he would yell my name from his office, like across <laughs> the, the building, like, Duffy, get in here. I go in there and, you know, I added something wrong or something was not right on a spreadsheet that was handwritten, by the way. We're back in those days. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> a ledger paper, you know. Um, and uh, and the other guy, the other guy, I'm not sure the other guy knew what a debit was and what a credit was. But he would sit there in a meeting quietly. He'd let me go on my spiel. He'd let my buddy go on his spiel, you know, pitching to the client what we're going to do. We're going to change your inventory system from LIFO to FIFO or whatever. Uh-huh. And then Jerry, this partner from, you know, uh, the, you know, uh, central Illinois farm country, all he does is he says, you know, Sean, uh, I can't tell if you're getting what you need here. Are these guys telling you what you want to hear? Is there something you mm-hmm. need that you're not, you're not getting? And, mm-hmm. and I realized like, oh, we don't matter. Like all that matters is what Jerry just said. <laughs> like that's, and, and now the partner knows like, I'm going to take care of you. Like, I don't even know if I understand what you need, but I'm going to make sure these guys deliver on it. Yeah. And, yeah. and the deal was sealed. I realized, like, we, we're we straw dogs. Our babble meant nothing. His meant everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. You, you, I, 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 don't, I want to give you a little bit of credit. Maybe he knew that you were going to babble <laughs> and that you, you were the setup for his, you know. You for know, sure. That was for awesome. sure. And eventually yeah. we kind of, we actually put brought that out in the open, like, is this how you want it to go, Jerry? Like, you know, like, yeah. okay, we'll do that. We'll, 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 we'll make sure that we present what we think we need to do. You and you can do your gut check, but, but it's it was organic to him. It this, yeah. this was not, and he would come in and before he would ask us, you know, to work till ten p.m. He'd say, um, you know, hey guys, pizza's on me tonight. Um, I'm sorry, I've got some bad news. You, I want you to take uh, Friday afternoon off and go to the Cubs game. Pizza's on me tonight. You know, he, he was always able to create a world where if he needed more from you, you wanted to deliver for him. Yeah, 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 yeah. The other guy, you just wanted to avoid. You did not want. <laughs> you didn't want him to yeah. say your. He name. thought fear was the answer. Yeah, and, right. and and he he made he eventually was what they called counseled out. So the guy, the smartest guy in the building was fired 
yeah. while Jerry made twice as much money for the firm, not knowing what he was doing as far as I know. He, he right. might have been really brilliant about it, but I don't know. People smart. People smart. <laughs> hey, um, John, I, I didn't know about your brother. Am, can I ask you a few more questions about him? You can. Okay. Thank you. Um, I, I, I'm no expert on this, but like I, I look at the, the section of your book on gaps, and I, I see a lot of probably cause causes of suicide, right? Joylessness, loneliness, uh, hopelessness. Um, when I'm curious, when did your brother take his life? And, and were you, I'm not trying to make light of this, but were you a CPA at that point or were you a therapist? And how did you, I was, how, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I was, I was, uh, so his first attempt was he was 22 years old. He died at 34 in 2001, three months after nine 11. Mm. Um, and, uh, I was, so I was in school. I was, I was, uh, studying to be, um, a therapist, but I was totally inspired by his journey of pain, you know? So he was labeled every, every, every different thing. He was depressed. He was an addict. He was bipolar. He was, he had borderline personality disorder in the end, in retrospect, Tom lost hope when he had a broken heart. And, and that's, and that's the sum total of what the mm-hmm. problem was for him. And if we, you know, if we were as a family open enough, emotionally intelligent enough um, to have those talks instead of expecting him to fit into a certain box. Um, I, I always want to be the therapist that Tom needed because Tom was always told what he wasn't. He wasn't going along with the program. He wasn't doing his homework. He was staying out too late. Um, uh, he was using drugs. Tom was also um, a gorgeous poet. He was the most amazing artist I have ever known. I'm married mm. to an amazing artist. Um, mm. but I, and I'm, I'm not being hyperbolic. When I look back at my brother's art, it, and he, he, some of the stuff was when he was 15 years old. He and I would go down to the basement and draw together until everyone woke up. And I would draw the same thing. I could draw a fire truck. <laughs> and I'm not kidding. I would draw the same thing or a car like every Saturday morning and Tom would draw something amazing. And it would be like disturbing sometimes. Like he would draw a guy hugging a tombstone with a McDonald's sign and a giant crucifix in the background, you know, but it was amazing, you know, like, um, and we never, we never told him he was amazing. We didn't spend time on, we didn't hone that in him. We didn't encourage or foster that in him. So what was beautiful in him we shut down. So as a family, collectively, this is harsh, but it's true. We kind of pushed him, you know, like we did not hold him back, you know, and, and I think we had the ability to do that. So, you know, like I always, part of my mission is to right that wrong in a way, because I played as much a role as my parents did, my brother, my sister, you know, we were all there telling him you're doing it all wrong. Mm-hmm. And I think when you're told that, um, and you're a boy and you don't have all the emotional intelligence or you're not sure what your place is, you just recoil, you know, and you continue to do the only thing you know how to do, which is usually the wrong thing in, on paper, right? But yeah. when you realize what's amazing about somebody and you foster and engender that, then then they've got something they can dig into, especially if you're letting him know you're supporting him, 
You know, like uh, the message he died with was our love was contingent, you know, and that that can't be the case for parents, any parent of anybody. And for a lot of our boys, love mm. feels contingent. This is yeah. also true, by the way, of a lot of our LGBTQ kids. You know, love is contingent on like, hey, can you get back on track here? Because we're uncomfortable with this. I, you know, the, the what you said earlier about, you know, being uncomfortable in the, the whole idea of fitting into a box. I mean, one of one of the things that I struggle with as I as I read all this stuff and even and even in the even in the book is spending so much time defining what masculinity is and what femininity is so that if even if we move the different characteristics between the two, then that'll make you feel more comfortable. It's just like, well, why do we even have to go through that? And and in fact, one of the things that I had a hard time with in the book is when you talked about man camp. I'm like, wait, John, wait, what what just happened to you? Because I don't know how to do hardly any of that stuff. And and but you're like, oh no, to be, you know, you go to man camp because you learn how to change oil and tie whatever and i'm like right wait where is he going with man, man camp because <laughs> that sounds like kind of 1950-ish so i'm going to give you a chance to explain <laughs> yourself about yeah. man camp so um a, a lot of boys will come in and say like like my grandfather he he knew what the parts of an engine were and he yeah. you know like mm -hmm. so there's certain things that are okay that they're masculine right you know like that there's um, and, and part, so there's this guy who, um, I happen to know who lives on a lake up in Wisconsin and yeah. he does all the guy things. Like he, you know, like if there's a tree that might need chopping down one day, he's just going to go out there and chop down the tree. Cause he's got all the, he's got all the toys, all the tools, all the figures, all the stuff, you know, and, you know, yeah. and, and he'll make me go out there and split wood. And there's something about like doing some of these stereotypically masculine things that you feel like it feels good. It feels cool. It feels like, okay, I, I get it. There's some industry to this. You're getting something done. There's something fundamental in our, you know, monkey brains here that suggests like, this is part of being the man. Like it might not be all the way back to like hunting and gathering, but it is kind of like, you know, I want to build something or I want to break something. I want, you know, I want to, but I want to, do some of these things that make you sweat. I want to be out there and and trying some of this stuff. And that yeah. doesn't have to be, um, that can fit easily with I feel my feelings. One story I did not, um, I, I skipped that I wish I hadn't the other day. Uh, and you guys are going to have to bear with me here because you're going to learn something else about me that's annoying to a lot of people. I'm a Springsteen guy. Like from, mm -hmm. I already knew that. Okay. So I was a kid. So, yeah. so I, I, I was going to, I always start by saying, uh, let's see my, my first concert, May, 1980, the river tour, uh, Rosemont <laughs> horizon, <laughs> 33, show, 33 shows since then. And, and with Bruce, I, I love the band. I like, you know, it's a bunch of dudes up there, you know, and they are making a wall of sound with the horns and the drums and the guitars and the bass. And I love it. And I like the alpha muscle of the whole thing. Mm -hmm. But every once in a while, Springsteen himself, so, and, he's, and he's dressed like a steel mill you know, worker. You sure? And he's like hitting, hitting a Telecaster like it's like, you know, like, like he's building a house. 
Um, <laughs> and and yet there are moments where, like Bruce did a show on Broadway, one man in mm-hmm. a little theater. I saw yep. it twice. I got to meet him once. Yeah, there's a, it's a my profile picture <laughs> on Facebook. Me and Bruce Springsteen. So he's in this little theater. It's just him and acoustic guitar. And 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 half the time the guitar stays in the stand. And he tells the story of he and his dad, and he's talking quietly. Like when he, this guy talks, it's a whisper, and he's talking about how mm-hmm. right before Bruce's wife is giving birth, he and his dad, um, who is a broken man, uh, depressed, anxious, alcoholic, broken man, terrible father, and Bruce. They're trying to find some language to connect with. His dad wants to instill some wisdom, um, uh, apologize, and, and, and Bruce tells the story, and he starts, he gets choked up, and the time I saw it, he started crying. And, and I realized, like, that, that's who I hoped he was. Like, I, that, that's where the guy earned my fondness and admiration and love, and that vulnerability, I think, is necessary for the bombast of playing in front of the E Street Band, you know, like so. Yeah. What I want boys to know is, you can have, you can be both these guys. Like you don't, yeah. you, you get. We have the luxury of being all of it, you know, and yeah. all of it fits in masculinity, you know. Like if you think of anybody, like if the three of us were to mention and talk about men that we admire and we respect and we look up to we're probably not going to talk about their most bombastic moments. We're probably going to talk about the moments where they're vulnerable, right? Where they're actually mm-hmm. showing us they're bearing their souls a little bit. Not yep. when they're, you know, not when they're, uh, you know, hitting the first few chords of born to run, even though we'll take that. It kicks that, <laughs> but that's not the main thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my, you talk about building it and knowing all the pies of an engine, my grandfather um, built, I mean, he would take, totaled cards and and rebuild them, rebuild them. And I was, you know, I would be in his garage a lot watching him do it. And the whole time thinking, this is, this, this is the last, <laughs> it's very cool. You're doing that, uh, Pop, but not my thing. No, thanks. Uh, and, and uh, yeah, I, but, and, and, and it, it, and it's sad to me to think that some boys and men feel like they have, like that's something I have to do. That's something right. I have to be when the world is whatever you want it to be. I mean, yeah. really? Yeah. My point, my point in including man camp is you can be this yeah. and you can be other things too. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like if you, yeah. you want to get into that and learn that and that feels like you're engaged in something cool. Absolutely. You can, you can do that. But and a lot of boys, they express like, I don't know how to do anything, you know, yeah. like I, and, yes. I, and I always thought like, this guy, Doug, he just be, he, his, he's presumptive, presumptuous because somebody will say like, you know, he'll say, uh, all right, I want you to just, uh, just take that tractor and move it down there. And, and I've said to him, like, <laughs> Doug, I've never driven a tractor before. He's like, just move the damn tractor, man. I don't have time to figure it out. <laughs> figure that shit out. <laughs> I, I feel like we're describing something that happens in a lot of our conversation around like, all of us, this includes young boys, like living in this echo chamber, but starting to believe what they've been told. And I had a question that I thought about asking the other day at the conference, but it's like, 
You, I think it was you, John, who mentioned or gave an anecdote about a kid who's like, I can't go to school. I've got school refusal, right? Um, yeah. yeah. Um, I wonder if you see that among your clients um, where it's like, oh, well, that I did that because I have ADHD or, you know, mm-hmm. that's my blah, blah, blah talking. Um, and how do we interrupt that? Yeah, um, there, and, and you're right. Echo chamber. Well put. Um, there's there's such an attachment to emotional disorders. And this is another one of the things that boys in particular use to tap out. You know, um, because there, you you watch enough TikTok videos or uh, YouTube videos, or just look up the diagnostic criteria for whatever, and most of us could probably say like, "Oh yeah, sometimes I feel down and depressed, and sometimes I feel sad, and sometimes I have trouble getting out of bed. I think I'm a depressed guy." And and if you don't have other things that define you, you know what I mean? Like if mm-hmm. you're not an actor or you're not an athlete or you're not a scholar or whatever, you know, like um, then you're depressive. Like th- this becomes mm-hmm. your identifier. And, and a lot of kids, but boys in particular, dig deep into this and, and talk a lot about what they can't do. Or I can only do that if I've got a vape pen with me, because I'm, I'm going to have to hit that because if I get a little bit anxious, I'm not going to be able to handle it. So the idea of, being resilient to a little discomfort is unthinkable to a lot of our boys. And, um, and, 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 and they're ashamed of that because it feels like the antithesis of strength to them as well. They realize yeah. like, I'm a loser. I shouldn't feel this way, but I do. This is what I'm stuck with. And so, this, you know, I'm going to just carry this thing around with me or I'm just going to stay in this bed all day long because I don't think I can handle what the world holds for me out there, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and it's a sincere belief, you know, that, that really has to be the therapy around that is tedious because you've got to take the, the tiniest steps out of that. And sometimes I literally will do that here. I'll be like, Hey, can we walk around the block? For, I'm yeah. in LaGrange. I'm, I'm in a yeah. suburb. You know what I mean? There's yeah. no threat here whatsoever. And yet, you know, to say, okay, yeah, I'll walk around with you outside where people can see me, you know, wow. that, that is, um, a little bit unthinkable to some of our guys. It's but, that well, bad. It, it, but John, when we talk about, uh, you know, issues around, um, uh, things like the, de- de- um, depressive or, or assigning different labels to their behavior or who they are by, by looking at social media or whatever. Um, I mean, it's been decades now where boys, have been medicated, uh, diagnosed with ADHD. I mean, to to significant rates over women, right? I mean, I don't know if it's oh, 50, yeah, 60%. Yeah. And so from the get-go, they're being told that their behavior is inappropriate and yep. often are being medicated from the get-go to to flatline, right? Yeah. And so, yeah. so the fact that they carry that over from seven or eight or nine to 15, 16, 18, I mean, that would be a you know, not a surprising trajectory, correct? We, we should not be surprised by this. No, you are absolutely right. Like if, if we went, if we, if the three of us decided we're going to stop by a middle school, right. And, yep. and look at the seventh graders and say, Hey, how many boys, what percentage of boys in here are medicated for ADHD? Half, probably more than half. Probably at half, least, right. At least, right yeah. You know what I mean? And then, yeah. and then you could go down the rabbit hole of like, 
how many guys are medicated for depression? How many, you know, so there's a lot of kids then at that point, already by that point in their lives, who are taking a cocktail of medications. Mm. And so the, the message you carry is because parents are very much like, have you taken your medication today? Like, yeah, you know, right. maybe that's why yeah. you're acting weird. Maybe that's why you're having trouble, you know, like, um, not you're, you're smart and you're capable, but you know, like if you don't take those meds, you're going to not be regulated very well. You're not going to be able to do the things. And it's, it's easy to believe that you're being told that by the people who, you know, are most in charge of your life. Yeah. Uh, John, you started out your session on Saturday, I, I think with something to the effect of having seen the through line of all the conference presentations and, and that it was that the antidote to a lot of this stuff is hope. Um, yeah. And I think about that when you describe that, you're like, what, what better way to like steal a kid's hope than be like, oh, you're broken and you need to be medicated in order to do anything, in order to go to school or walk around the block. That's exactly. fucking heavy. It is. It's it, 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 and and the weight of it is palpable when you are with them. You are you are a hundred percent right. Yes, uh, and and that's where you know I kind of like hooked into hope based on um, you know a session I'd heard the night before. But you know I I I regularly think like, what is my job? Is my job to alleviate symptoms? Is my job to uh, get somebody functioning better? My job is to instill hope that that's really it. You know what I mean? Like, you know, because I can't argue like, okay, maybe things are dark or bleak or anxiety provoking right now, but there's hope like tomorrow can be different and we can work on that. We can work toward something different and brighter for you. And I, I think that's true for every boy I've, I've ever known. And I, I've yet to meet one, you know, I, I say this pretty regularly, but I've met, yet to meet one. I thought like, oh, I'm not much for this kid. And I think he's hopeless. You know what I mean? Like I've not had yeah. that experience once. So how do we, so, so, uh, how do we rescue? I mean, yeah. Yeah. Tell us in two sentences. Well, I mean, I have, okay. I have some thoughts, but I want to hear from the, I want to hear okay. from the expert. Okay. So, 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 so briefly we rescue by modeling, you know, the, the good news for men is if we lead vital, um, enjoyable, joyful, um, you know, industrious, good lives that we enjoy. We are modeling something for our kids and we are showing them, okay, that's a possibility in this world like that. And that is that the importance of that cannot be emphasized enough. Yeah. Like that, yeah. that model is huge. Um, Kathy Adams had a slide up that I took a picture of. I only took one picture the whole thing, the whole time, but it was it, the, the, the slide said no less. And I love that. Um, mm -hmm. We, so, so what we're doing with our boys is we are trying to lecture them out of symptoms um, and that doesn't work. But if we know less and we're curious and we get to know them, we are mm -hmm. going to, we, we're going to learn how amazing they are what where their skill set is they're going to tell you something about politics or sports or music or something you know i don't even know that they know about you know where you're like oh my god this is a remarkable human being so i don't have to pretend to have positive regard for him he's unbelievable you know like every right. kid's amazing in their way and has has some things they don't know if their things matter they don't value them necessarily but they're there and they're real, you know? And so if we are there just to reflect to them in an honest way, in a conversation that is 
very much friendly. You know, like yeah. I, I'm not a big on you can't be friends with your kids. I think you can parent and be friends with your kids. And I think it's vital to do that now. Yeah. Yeah. So so one is model and, and another would be having real conversations, not yeah. not. I'm the boss and you're the, you know, and you're the employee or whatever. Right. I, having real conversations with another human being. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and learning who they are right. and letting them see your reaction to that, you know, that, yeah. it, you know, because you're going to be blown away. Yeah. Uh, John, do you I have, have to look through that every day. Yeah. Do you have a few more minutes or do you have a hard stop? Do you have to? I've got, I've got a hard stop. I've got, uh, I've got boys at the door. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We may need a round two, but can I ask you yeah, three, yeah. Quick, three quick canned questions? Sure. Okay. First one. What do you wish you could have told your 10 year old self? Um, you're stronger than you think. That's what I, that, and that's one of my messages for boys. You are stronger than you think. You have no idea. I love it. Um, this is maybe more, um, uh, inward facing, but w- do you have a mantra in life or a mantra these days? Um, yeah, my, my mantra right now is, uh, is to slow down and relax and trust that everything's going to happen in its time. Awesome. I'm, I'm restless. I'm restless. I'm impatient. He, he, yeah. Very zen. Very zen. He's a machine. He's yeah. a machine. Yeah. 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 I was, I, I was a CPA. But I always feel like I'm making up for lost time and I don't, I've got to get out of it. <laughs> Six years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, I might offer also our love cannot be contingent. That's one of the most beautiful things you said. Oof, so I, yeah. love I love it. I love it. It is yeah, a good one. Huge. So good. Um, yeah. Last question. What do you hope people will say about you at your wake? Um, uh, I think the greatest thing I could hear is that I I was kind and um, and I felt heard by Duffy. If people if people can say uh, he was kind wow. and I felt heard by him, I I don't need anything else on that tombstone but that. That's enough. For well, sure. we heard you. We heard you today. <laughs> Loud and clear. You guys and, are and, awesome. This is and thank you for and thank you for keep sharing, uh, keep sharing and working on on you know making the world a better place. Really, no doubt. So much, no doubt. Back back at you both, and and uh, and Sean, if we have a round two, we're all wearing vests, man. I I'm going to send one to you. Yeah. All right. <laughs> uh, all right. I'll go out and get one. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, John. Great right. to talk to you. John, guys. always Appreciate a pleasure. You. Thanks, bud. Have a great day. Peace. Peace. Bye-bye. Bye. This is Chris. Thanks again for joining us on this episode of If You've Come This Far. And this is Sean. Remember to check us out at menliving.org.